It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. This is our weekly chance to sit down with the award-winning journalists on the East End and do a bit of a deeper dive into the week's news. I'm Joe Shaw. I am the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, the website 27East.com, and Express Magazine. With me is my co-host, Bill Sutton. He is the managing editor of the aforementioned Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. And we have a great panel this week. We have one of our treasured regulars, Denise Civiletti, the editor of Riverhead Local. Hey, Denise, you're sort of like the third host of the show at this point. Treasured? I, nobody's ever called absolutely. Me treasured. I treasure you, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, here. Love having you here. Uh, we also have- I thought Gianna's uh, baby came back. <laughs> yes, no, Gianna, Gianna Volpe, who uh, is the host of The Heart of the East End right here on WLIWFM from 9 to 11 in the morning, and it repeats at midnight. Good morning, Gianna. Good morning. On the move, finding a better spot. How's and it going? The, the little one was with you earlier, but uh, maybe she could make yeah. a guest appearance she'll, later. You'll, you'll see her. She, she'll appear and, and uh, as she moves through her schedule. <laughs> and uh, we also have Christine Sampson, who is the Deputy Managing Editor of the East Hampton Star. Hey, Chrissy. Good morning, everyone. Good to have you here. So, Chrissy, let's start with you. You did a very cool story this week. Um, that is also a little terrifying in, in a lot of ways. And I, th- I think we're all sort of dealing with, how, we're processing exactly how to feel about artificial intelligence. And I remember when, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the website Dolly, which uh, yes. uses a f- artificial intelligence to create images based on um, commands that you give it. So you can give it very, detailed descriptions of draw me a picture of this. Um, My favorite one that I ever did was draw me a picture of Snoopy in the style of Rembrandt. And what I got was really mind blowing. Uh, It's, it's, it's mind blowing the stuff you get back. Um, But AI now um, is being used to create words and it's a different world's in that situation. And you talked a little bit at your, in your story about how it's being used in different ways in East Hampton. Talk about some of the things you found. Sure. So it started with Rabbi Joshua Franklin over at the Jewish Center of the Hamptons. And uh, he decided to experiment with a chat GPT. He wrote a sermon. I, I use air quotes for the word wrote because he immediately said, I plagiarized this sermon. Guess who wrote it? And he, he so he did this the sermon, it, it was like, and he says it's passable. It, it maybe was a little bit bland, but like made sense, right? Um, based on the religious concept that he was hoping to talk about with his congregation that day, it was in December. And uh, the the folks in his in his audience were guessing all these famous rabbis. And like a, a, a rabbi from Israel who's really well known, like they, and then he was like, sorry guys, it's AI. And their minds are blown. And that story got picked up by NPR, by the Times of Israel, uh, BBC. It got picked up in a lot of places. And so we did a little write-up on that this week. And is as a, as a way to kind of relate to what his experience was, I tried using ChatGPT to write the lead of the story. And um, it it made sense. It was like three times too long for what, you know, a... a a best practices news lead would be. Um, so I, I would have to, you know, you could give it more specific parameters, but, you know, it, it came back with like something completely usable and it's a little sense. creepy, right? I yeah, mean, gosh, I mean, yeah. I've seen, so just, I've seen just, ex- just, just for the readers, explain what chat GPT is. So it's an online, it, it, it is telling, it's an online right now, it's a research tool. It's saying like when you when you log into chat GPT, it's like a it's like a really high high tech robot, right? Bot. So um, you give it a command. You you say something like write a newspaper lead about the popularity of artificial intelligence. Right. You give it a prompt and it will generate content for you based on that prompt, like instantly, like you can watch it working. You can 
see it's generating content in real time. And um, it it's going to change a lot of the way that people operate, I think. Um, you know, yeah, it's it's um, one of the things I, I, I don't know if you've seen. And I believe I've seen the Washington Post or the New York Times did a piece the other day that said, um, did a sixth grader write this or did AI write this? And it gave a series of, of writings and said, you know, was this written by a person at, at, a, at a fairly elementary level or was it written by AI? And it really was very difficult to tell mm-hmm. the difference. Yes, and that's yeah. one of the legal and ethical issues around it, too, because, you know, like how are people who use ChatGPT, you know, obligated to disclose its source? Oh, you I know? hope so. I hope so too. That's why I put my GPT lead in quotation marks and immediately identified where it came from. Right. Good yeah. for so so beautifully written. It really was. And I <laughs> heard that I heard that NPR. Wait, piece wait, Chris, you, what are you saying thank you for you didn't do anything. Uh oh. Nope. Oh, oh. No, the entire story. She like, might be like, she might be on. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the, the, <laughs> oh, it wasn't the, the bot necessarily. <laughs> It was the movement through the story and the way yeah. that you covered, you know, different elements of this this problem of this topic, and it was really it was narrative, but it was so so poignant and really Thank so perfect. You. And uh, I heard that NPR piece, and I was sort of amazed because uh, I was telling Bill earlier, I'm across the pond, and I I like to say that because you say that when you go to to britain or you go to the uk but it feels the same way when you're you know ferrying into new london and uh being in this area hearing how strong the signal is and then hearing that npr news piece about that and they were uh focusing it a lot on education and and students writing essays and it you know like you said it's something that the education system hasn't really had much uh play with yet but i know that I'm looking forward to your stories as far as that and, you know, as you, that and, comes out. And, and you did, Chrissy. You did speak to some some local educators yes. on, on whether yes. this is a an, an I issue. Did, yet. Yeah. Um, yes. So they haven't. You know, folks here aren't seeing it yet. Um, and you know, there's a big debate in the academic world because not only elsewhere people are you know they've they've discovered college kids using it right um, to write essays and papers and such but the thing about um the thing about that is that another there there's also a counterwave to that in terms of tech to identify pieces that are written by ai so that's another ai to kind of sniff out ai wow and it's just gonna, <laughs> it's like multi-tiered it's you know it's going to be sentient one day i bet <laughs> The other thing that's interesting to me is that they're they're experimenting with using it to write code, mm-hmm. which which actually um, might have some benefits. And and as AI improves, um, it may be able you know it may be a step in that process where AI may be able to write code faster and better than have, than oh, humans. Have we learned nothing Already from can. Terminator? <laughs> It's I mean, how many Terminator movies do we have to watch before we before we put a stamp a tamp down on on AI? Come on! And I have to tell you, you know, we should talk about the impact of this on journalism because yeah. one of the problems, and, and there have been numerous articles about this written at the national level, um, where the attempt is made to use AI to write a news story about about something and what you discover is it does a fairly passable job of doing that but has problems getting facts right mm-hmm. it, that that there are issues with with getting the facts oh, right so here's one thing about about it okay um it it basically uh, my my daughter who's the code geek and tech everything tech in our family uh my daughter katie said that um it's it's she calls it kind of like a super google because it, everything it spits out is uh, is essentially a, a, a high-end Google search. It's mm. it's it, it the all internet, that. Yeah, you know. And so, um, I, you know, I had I had used it to uh, just you know to see what would happen. I asked it to write a story about big warehouses in Riverhead, right? And proposals for big. 
And it was clearly, you know, a scrape. And it was clearly scraping things about warehouses from other places. And I could tell that by how it referred to the town officials working with the warehouse developers to do certain things and to protect certain things that the town officials here have not been talking about at all. <laughs> so, it, you know, it could did, did you find that it goes back the certain amount of time? So if you ask it about something that goes, I forget what year prior to it, it can't, oh, it can't come up with right. it. So did you it's find still that, in its infancy. Sorry. Did you find that it was scraping from your stories at all, Denise? I that, thought so. Yeah. That, that would be the, the the scary part for us, right? Is is somebody's doing this this AI thing, putting stories together, and it's kind of plagiarizing in, in a way what mm -hmm. you know what we're working hard to put together. There, there know, are so I... many implications to this. I mean, for example, apparently the thinking is you can't copyright anything that's generated by AI. Um, because, Interesting. Yeah. Right. Um, because it's, I'm sorry, it's right. coming from. You're going to say, Gian, I'm sorry. Uh, Chrissy, you were going to say. Yeah, yeah. So one of the points that Rabbi oh. Franklin made um, is that, you know, chat GPT can't synthesize community. It can't synthesize relationships. So, you know, Rabbi Franklin says, you know, like we're going to have to develop relationships and community more strongly compassion, love, that is at the core of what we do. ChatGPT can't synthesize those things. He makes a really great point. We're humans. It's not. Yeah, you know, this is really going yeah. back to Bill's point about Terminator. I think that was I think I Terminator. Uh, so Terminator is suddenly going to become a, a source source uh well you know for our philosophy moving forward. When I was graduating when I was graduating journalism school, I remember you know uh them talking about uh, the advent of digital news and, you know, the way that uh, papers were closing across the country. And the point that was made there is that uh, you cannot replace the community newspaper. There will always be a place. And this was, you know, uh, 2010. There will always be a place for the community newspaper. Doesn't mean they won't try, though, Gian. I know this. Yes, no, Brendan O'Reilly. Brendan O'Reilly sent me a link the other day that he happened to stumble across in some, you know, corner of the web that that's not very heavily trafficked. But it was a was it the dark web. was it the dark web? No, no, it wasn't the dark web. It was out there, but it's but it's sort of just tucked away. And my guess is it was an experiment of some kind. But it was purported to be a Southampton local news site that when you look at it closely he said and i completely agree that it appears to be completely ai generated and and it's even down to the the person who purportedly wrote the article appears to be an ai creation of some kind it's just very generic in the way it's described but the problem is if you're not a discerning reader and you're on the web and you find a site like this, you you may not realize what you're looking at. And uh, it, it does have massive implications for journalism along with education and, and everything else. Were the articles local? I mean, was it was it actually? It was basically what Denise is describing. It was a scrape that that is a very flat and sort of un- inspiring and, and uninsightful um it, but, but it was reporting but it was reporting current local news at the it time was. That it was created yeah. absolutely That's yeah scary. so it is but chrissy i'm curious so we're talking about the negatives here mm -hmm. but were there some positives that that you found from the people you talked to um i think that you know another person i spoke with was david beard He's a, a researcher and has a finance background, and he writes a weekly Corona tracker um, about, you know, pandemic trends. And he used it um, to sort of like write his track, write part of his tracker one week. And but he uses a lot of data. Yeah. And so it couldn't, you know, he was like it. He asked the chat GPT to talk about things that he already knew about so that he could fact check it and like understand its content, like where it was coming from. Nice. And yeah, so um, 
I don't know that he said it was a negative. Um, but like it wasn't exactly it was kind of in middle of the road, you know, like it it did its job, but then he had to go in and kind of like, you know, filter it a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, like um put it in journalism. context. Yeah. Put it in context, you know. So it lacks context, it lacks like narrative voice. You know, but that's where we come in. That's right. that's where I don't think it's going to replace us. Thank goodness, you know. Like, yes. but, scary, but but, scary but could be though. could be a tool. I mean, I mean, you mm-hmm. know, I, I read in your article, Beard Beard talks about you know asking asking the AI, um, you know, what should businesses do to prepare for a recession, and and it gave him a pretty standard shopping list of 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 things that businesses can do. Um, which then he could expand upon and humanize and localize and 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 all that. So in in that sense, maybe it's a tool that helps you with um, you know pinpointing where your research could go or should go and and make sure that you hit on all the points that that you should hit on. But then, like you say, then you've got to kind of finesse it around a little bit. And one of the things that when you log into ChatGPT, it immediately tells you this is a free research tool currently. It is not intended to give advice. Yeah. Right. So it tells you that right up front. You know, so anything you hear from it, any recommendations it makes, you know, <laughs> you may not really want to do, you know. So I, I just um, signed on to ChatGPT and I asked it, how can we discuss the use of AI in journalism? And it said, it's still working, by the way. I won't read the whole thing. The use of AI in journalism can be discussed in terms of the following points. One, automation of repetitive tasks. AI can automate repetitive tasks such as data collection, fact-checking, and news aggregation, freeing up journalists to focus on more creative and analytical tasks. Uh-huh. Improved accuracy and speed through, of course, algorithms. Personalization and customization. AI can analyze user data to create personalized news recommendations and customized content. Ethical and legal considerations. The use of AI in journalism raises important ethical and legal considerations. Yeah, these are all fair points. Yeah. yeah. So this those was all generated. And it does. It sounds now. like it sounds like a seventh grader that's writing an essay and doesn't really know much about what they're writing about. <laughs> but but you know the key point here is this is in beta. Like yeah. this is yeah, the exactly. earliest. This is in its the infancy. earliest days this, of yeah. this, no, and it's able to do yeah. that. In, right. in two, I mean, we all know the the rule that you know computer processing is is growing at an exponential rate. That that Absolutely. it'll it'll get better and better, faster and faster. In five years, this oh may gosh. be at a whole nother level as far as being able to to generate uh, readable copy. And uh, you know, in in these days where where corporate newspapers in particular are looking to cut costs. It's a little scary. Uh, yeah. the I'm I'm most scared. Of, I'm most scared about the potential as far as like malware and uh, people taking advantage of other people and trying to trick them uh, into you know. The, it, there's already uh, so many different types of way that people call and say they're the IRS or or X Y Z. I'm I'm concerned about where it will go as far as that's concerned. Well, to what evil purposes will? will yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's kind of sad. We Have we like learned that? nothing from Terminator? Right? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's sad we think like that. When when we landed yeah. men on the moon, I don't think people thought about the negative of everything. But we're forced to do that these days. That right. every every positive development has some dark side. Where's that, Carl? And look Grossman. at all the bad things the moon landing has brought upon us. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. People Chrissy, say it can I, really this, happen, for example. Wait. <laughs> this was textbook of taking a, a, a national trend and finding the local um, impact of it. And and I feel like it's it's um, yeah, it's going to have an impact on all of our lives in a growing way moving forward. And I think you really I, demonstrated that. Can I tell you something? Thank you. Can I tell you something really funny? There's a typo in the print edition of the story and we fixed it online. But like chat GPT did not generate that typo. I did. I wonder and proofread. That's yeah, that speaking of speaking of you, Chrissy, I'm really excited to see about uh, the stories that are going to come out of the fact that thirty four point five billion dollars in the budget is going uh, to school aid statewide. I always love reading your <laughs> education stories. Thanks. So I'm psyched to see what's uh, what's going to come out uh, in East Hampton. 
Yeah, pl- put that on your put that on your agenda for the for an upcoming visit. We'll have that. <laughs> we'll absolutely do that. Yeah. Cool. Very much so. This is behind the headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We are with the Express News Group, and our panelists today are Gianna Volpe of right here at WLIWFM, Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, and Christine Sampson from the East Hampton Star. And Denise, so let's talk Riverhead. There's a there's a lot going on in Riverhead right now. Uh, I want to talk to you a bit first about the code changes that are being proposed up there. What's going on? What's the conversation? I'm sorry. I just asked uh, ChatGPT if it could be used to proofread copy. <laughs> no, no ChatGPT. <laughs> I'll, I'll exit that. All enough. Right, well, you know, it's I taking mean, it's taking on our lives. Enough. Let's not help. <laughs> Riverhead Town has. I mean, it can use a little artificial intelligence, in my opinion. <laughs> Um, River Town is, you know, they have spent a great deal of effort, time, and money um, over the last, well, I can't even remember how long, but most recently, especially, um, attempting to revitalize downtown Riverhead, uh, which has had uh, all kinds of different problems in terms of vacant stores, big old, you know, vacant stores that couldn't be repurposed, um, and, um, you know, not enough people on the street businesses closing i mean you know it's got a 50 percent or so vacancy rate still um and so you know they keep trying to rebrand it re uh reinvent it um you know re anything you can fill in the blank but um so the most recent thing i mean you know the town has been approving a variety and two more this week uh of uh, multi-story uh, mixed-use buildings with, you know, ground floor retail and, um, you know, apartments above. Um, let me let me stop you there, Denise. Yeah. That that's amazing to me. They approved two more. I mean, yeah. those those proposals in so many villages on the South Fork are major conversations that take years and have huge opposition. And and in Riverhead, they seem to just cruise through. Well, and she's I mean, written about that. Yeah, I mean, they're they're yes well, and no. I mean, I mean, they, Riverhead, a lot of these things have been you know kicking around for a long time, and um, but, but yeah, Riverhead kind of Riverhead kind of set up the zoning downtown yeah. to allow that stuff. That, I mean, that Riverhead absolutely they, did. They, they wanted it and invited developers in to to you know because so, that's part of the vision for a revitalized downtown, right? The idea the idea was to bring people you know, to live downtown so that they would be there and there would be, you know, natural customer base for restaurants and things of that nature. And, but, but in any event, um, but when you do that, you you, you leave the undesirable still on the street. Right. And that's what they're looking at this week. I'm being snarky snarky on purpose. I'm being snarky on purpose. Undesirables, but people do, (laughs) but, um, and yeah, you know, that's kind of what this is aiming at. Um, so there's a pair of uh, laws that have been proposed. One is a zoning code that's an overlay district that's going to take in the Main Street district and a couple of others in the downtown area. And um, it will it would ban certain uses such as uh, tattoo parlors and rehab facilities. New ones now, the, the existing ones wouldn't be affected. They just become you know, pre-existing non-conforming uses and um, things like uh, the sober homes and other group homes. Um, those would not be a- allowed to. Interestingly enough, and Bill, I know you've been following this, they they did not include on the list of no-nos um, firearms or gun shops, <laughs> which well, a few months ago, <laughs> like last year, they proposed legislation that would have banned them altogether, all by themselves. Like that was like a separate standing thing and that didn't go anywhere. And you know they did so they didn't include that uh, you know in this in the list of of banned uh, uses um but the other the other proposal which is going to go to hearing uh next well yeah next month um is a proposal that would um prohibit or make unlawful i guess um certain behaviors um there are it, it, it brings together some things that are already town code violations under other articles in the town code and are already penal law violations like, you know, selling drugs and buying drugs. Um, things like, um, you know, 
public public urination. Or can I, yeah, I'm just going to say, can I say that word? Uh, public urination <laughs> on radio? I don't know. Um, and um, you know, so it and it increases the fines, and it also and one thing that I think personally I think is is tr very troublesome is um, it. It, it says that, you know, if you are that a police officer essentially can arrest someone if they are known to, uh, to have if they're like loitering, they're sitting and hanging around and they're known to be um, prior uh, prior uh, convicts, prior previously convicted. That, for sounds, that sounds problematic. Yeah. yeah. Or even known to be no, they're known drug users. Um, so like. You know, you're not, then you have, those people are not even allowed degree. to like sit on a bench. You yeah. have a law degree, Denise. Is that going to hold up? No. I want your, I, I, want I think your, not. I, I really don't think so. Okay. Not, not for now. I was written by people but with may, law degrees. So, you know. May, maybe the conviction doesn't hold up, but it has the effect of clearing the streets. The cops can go in and, and lawfully detain these people or remove these people from, from downtown, downtown that they see as I'm doing air quotes um you know dr drug users or or whatever I, i'm troubled like, how, do you, I'm, how do you distinguish that from profiling which it is profiling it's it absolutely, is absolutely profiling. what it is i don't know so i think there's going to be a lot of debate about this for sure i wonder I, if I mean, it has anything I, the, to do with riverhead being on one of the forbes best places to visit in 2023 one of like no. only 11 <laughs> places in the this got proposed States. before that, you know, before oh, we okay. knew about that here. So, how big a problem, right. problem is it, guys? You know, Bill, you live there, and Denise, you're there. How big a problem is are these are so, these societal issues that they're that they're addressing? So there are like there. This has been an ongoing debate for a very long time, and you know, there there are a lot of there are people who come to Riverhead um, that are you know. They're, they're panhandling downtown. They they're banning or you know aggressive panhandling. So like if someone says no and you keep asking them for money or you follow them or touch them, that's a separate new uh, violation. I, I see. They're they're also they're also looking at people who are sitting on the sidewalk or sitting on a planter or laying down in a doorway. So I think they're looking to sleeping you know, on a bench. They're so, looking so at there's, they there's homeless, homeless home people. Homeless people, so they're looking to to push the homeless people off. It's clearly off Main targeting Street. homeless people. It's clearly, you know, we've got a number of facilities. We've got, you know, at least one that I know of where people come for methadone treatment. Um, that's always been controversial. I think people tend to conflate people who go to that facility with people who cause trouble in the community. I personally don't know that they're the same people, but. You know, that's the perception. And what town officials say is they're trying to combat the perception of Riverhead as a high crime area, a place you don't want to go to, where you don't feel safe with your kids. And they want to make I, it, I, you know, I, and they think these things will, will may help I, change I, that. I, I get that, but it's not Disneyland either. And, and you can't make it into... Clearly, you haven't been to town hall lately, though. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I'm curious, to Denise. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Joe. I just, uh, you know, when you brought the point up earlier, Joe, about just the stark contrast about the way things work, uh, I do think it's so interesting because I, I remember the last time uh, Supervisor Schneiderman from Southampton Town uh, came into the studio and he was talking about holding these series of listening sessions with folks in uh, Hampton Bays, I believe, looking at developing uh, the overlay district there. And then afterward- well, can I, Excuse me, can I just say that was after they got caught signing a contract talking about squelching- True. Yeah. So, like, true. I know. That is true. That is true. But uh, that being said, having <laughs> those types of things, which, when, which in my view is how I, I think you should be doing it, uh, looking to the people and seeing how they want X, Y, and Z done. It is in stark contrast. I remember, Denise, I read an entire story of yours one morning uh, having to do, what was it, with a moratorium in Calverton and how there was not a public hearing held. I mean, uh, you can it's your story. Yeah. Well, that was actually the question I was going to ask, Denise, is where are we in the process? If they started to get 
public feedback? And is this something that has public support? On this new proposal, on these proposals? Yeah. Well, no, they just now, uh, well, on, on Tuesday, they will be scheduling public hearings, one for uh, later this month and one in March, one for February 22nd and one in March 22nd. 22nd. I'm not sure why they split them, but um, they did. So, uh, no, they haven't begun to get feedback. Um, and we attempted, but couldn't get a call back from like the New York Civil Liberties Union on um, it happened to be a day where they put out a big press release about their um, lawsuit against the New York State Department of Corrections. So I think they were busy. But, um, you know, I don't know what people will think about this. I know that, you know, there are people who are really not happy with the state of things downtown. Um, you know, we've spoken to different business owners. I mean, um, you know, Mark Lamena, uh, Lucharito's fame, who had uh, Lucha Cubano on uh, Main Street and closed that down. He's looking, he's going to open up another type of restaurant there. But, you know, he's he spoke to us and said that, you know, things are, they need to make downtown more conducive to business. They can't, it can't, he says it's a place that people are afraid to come to. Um, that's probably going to affect the River Club. Isn't he developing like a hotel restaurant a little further, uh, closer to the park, to you the mean, west? Uh, uh, Joe Petricelli. Oh, is that oh, Mark? Is Mark, Mark. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, it's yeah. okay. He's looking. He's he's looking to develop that. I think at 131 West Main. Right. Um, but, but, I mean, Denise, but Denise, you're you're talking about the perception. Perception. Yes. And you did speak. To, you did. Alec did your reporter Alec did speak to to the police chief yeah. and and um who who kind of dismissed the idea that 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 downtown is unsafe and said that there hasn't been at least an increase in in crime downtown and there are some quality of life issues but but um yeah, you, know, not, not a, you know the chief's been saying that for a very long time and it's been true I mean like if you look at the police blotters uh, as as Hager Miller said to me a week or so ago, you know, crime is happening here and there, but it's, it, I'll tell you what, it's not happening downtown. Like it's, yeah. it's really not what people think that it is. And I think part of that is, um, you know, see like people who are panhandling and, and having to be exposed to, I hate to sound, sound like, but what people, people don't like being exposed to people that they don't want to see. Okay. Yeah. And those are people who look, well, as you said, undesirable, maybe, you know, people who so, to be suspicious, People so, who maybe have a different skin color, yeah. you know. I so mean, I'm a huge. I think all I'm of that factors into perception and how I'm, much I'm a, legislation. I'm a, huge, I'm a huge fan of the downtown revitalization, and I've said that a number of times on on this show. And I think the town is certainly moving in the right direction. But but along with that comes a certain element of gentrification of 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 moving people who are are living downtown. Um, perhaps out of downtown, and and maybe that's businesses and and residents as well. And I think that's an un, a, 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 maybe an unfortunate result of what they're looking at. And some of these these new these code changes seem to me, you know, pushing in that direction. Where you Absolutely. know, try to make it un. I'm going to use the word undesirable, looking, but undesirable on the opposite end for for people who who live and and work in 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 the area to. To hang out in in the area, you want to push people away, and and I think that's um, when, when you look to ban laundromats. On yeah, Main Street, yeah. Who are, you, who are you looking at? You know, who's that affecting? Who are you talking? Yeah. Take, take a yeah, step back, that's, Denise. That's, I'm, that's so Denise, true. I'm I'm genuinely taken aback that there's a suggestion that there's there's a perception among anybody that Riverhead is an unsafe place to visit. Yeah. That's, that's ridiculous. I mean, I, I understand the concern that Riverhead might have that that might be the case, but is is that? I, I mean, I, I've never had that feeling, and I I don't know anybody that that. I have I have I have walked and and ridden my bike um, down Main Street a, a million times at different times a day, and have never felt un, unsafe. I've never personally felt unsafe. I do, you know. It does. There are times when. I feel that way. You know, when you read, oh, you know, a guy got his laptop stolen out of his car in front of Dollar Tree or Walmart or like the early January report that the guy got shot in the head 
you know, stuff like that. Reading those those crime stories can make you feel that a place is unsafe. But personally, uh, I have never felt unsafe walking in downtown Riverhead myself. And you, you know, you use the word perception, and I think perception is what this is all about. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, there's some ugly undercurrents to this conversation. And I'm also sort of in, intrigued, um, Denise, because so the approval of these new multi-use um, buildings in downtown and um, this is something and, and this is sort of um, jumping off to something Gianna pointed out. This is something that's a conversation that's taking place in a lot of communities. And I'm thinking specifically here in, in Hampton Bays, the use of multi use buildings in a downtown and bringing people who actually live in the downtown business district as a way of sort of bolstering that district. Riverhead's going to be kind of an experiment here, right? I mean, they're, they're going all in with that concept. Well, I mean, Patchogue did that, you know, right. successfully. Um, yes. And I think that, you know, the Riverhead has, model. Yeah, has attempted to replicate that. I think one thing that Riverhead hasn't really accomplished in that regard and this is something that i believe that other i mean they're talking about it now but i believe other uh places should pay attention to is that um unlike patchog riverhead hasn't really zoned for higher density um you know owner occupied housing you know con the condos or co-ops um and and Riverhead can do that because, you know, it's got sewer and it's got public water and sewer. Um, and so far, the housing has really been um, all for the not all, but a lot of the housing has been um, affordable, you know, workforce apartments, rental apartments. Um, there is one building on Main Street that was built that's a, a market rate, they call it. And uh, those it's rentals and those rents are pretty steep. Um, and um, there's a market, that same developer is building a market rate um, uh, apartment complex, just got underway, putting in the foundation um, in on Osborne Avenue opposite, you know, in the vicinity of the of the railroad station. Um, so, but again, and, and, the, and the, ones that have, the ones yeah. that have been built aren't, aren't sitting empty. I, I mean, they filled up pretty quick, right? Yeah. Well, and the workforce, I mean, another thing, too, is that the workforce housing, the affordable apartments, you know, they're kind of, you know, rent, not rent controlled, but rented rents are limited. And so are the incomes. So you have a lot of people who don't necessarily have the disposable income to spend on shops and restaurants and things and, and concerts and things like that downtown. So yeah. they, they, you have to get more, I think, a mix of development not just all work we need workforce housing yes but you know you need you need housing where people like gianna you know are gonna be able to buy a, a condo or co-op and have a, enough space to have you know a family in it too um Amen. I, feel like <laughs> I feel like it's it's really a, a key moment for riverhead there's a lot of changes happening up there um it's gonna gonna we're going to feel the repercussions um, for years to come, I think. So it's an interesting time up there. Yeah, well, uh, this, downtown. this is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. And our panelists today are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Gianna Volpe of right here at WLIWFM, and Christine Sampson of the East Hampton Star. And Chrissy, so um, a crowd formed this week. Uh, last week at uh, East Hampton Village Hall, what uh, oh, the emergency services? Oh, that's building. right. That's right. It did yeah. actually happen at Village Hall. What was the crowd there for? The crowd was there to buy beach passes. They were East Hampton town residents who were given the opportunity on one day to buy non-resident beach passes at the previous price of I think it was five hundred before These are it village. Goes up. Village, village East passes. Hampton Village beach passes, um, which obviously are so frequently frequently used by town folks too, you know. With the and there's so much confusion in general, like what's a town beach, what's a village beach, right? It's a beach. So people, a lot of people don't <laughs> really understand that delineation, uh, especially like if you're a visitor. But um, 
The other the other thing we should clarify is it's not to access the beach. It's, it's to access parking. the beach parking. Parking, 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 yeah. Parking, yeah. So um, as early as 6 a.m., people were lining up outside that emergency services building to have the chance to buy those beach parking passes. And uh, I was getting text messages. My phone was blowing up. My friends from Sag Harbor. Uh, I had a friend from Hampton Bays. I had a friend from Montauk. Everyone's texting me, what's going on? Oh my gosh. My, my, my Sag Harbor friend is like, I'm here. You need to get here. And you know, our, <laughs> our reporter, Chris Gangemi, and our photographer, Darrell Godfrey, were already on the scene. So I, I didn't have to myself go, but like, it was a madhouse, I'm, I'm told. And, you know, we have we have a couple of video clips on Instagram to show you the um, the magnitude of the response to that. Yeah, I mean, it was you know? more and than it was like a thousand people. It showed had up. to be a thousand people. <laughs> I think crazy. they were offering up fifteen hundred beach passes that day, beach parking passes that day. And I think all but like three hundred were sold. Am I am I recalling that number correctly? I think that's true. I, but I think so. And then they, they did end up selling out yes, later that day, out. that evening. But they didn't sell out until much, you know, later in like the day, right? I think, yeah. The push the early line, on, it, it turned out that you there wasn't really a need to show up first thing to get to get those passes, right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. By 11 o'clock in the morning, the line was mostly, you know, processed. They had all finished. They all got their stuff. But you could only buy one. And if you wanted to buy a second one, because, you know, sometimes, you know, a household of two or a big family with two cars wanting to park at the beach, you know, like you have to, if you wanted a second one, you had to go back on the line with your, the rest of your documentation. It was like, that's crazy. You know, there were complaints, there were cheers, there were jeers, and there was one ambulance call for a woman who felt faint, you know, like. Tell you put a thousand um, people in one place, it's gonna happen. <laughs> this was this was kind of a test run for East Hampton, right? I mean, they, um, they, they saw this that, as this was a new way to do this, and they wanted yeah. to they, they say they're wow. gonna try and improve it next year, right? Well, I think that it was still a step up over what happened last year when they opened the online sales at like midnight, right? And then they and was, uh, they were sold they out were by online, six in the morning. They sold out by six in the morning and and like senior citizens had trouble accessing it and you know like it was uh it so was, this was a this was a limited number joe that were sold on that day just for people who could who could walk in and get it the remaining the remainder of the passes then were sold a couple of days later on online and mm-hmm. and sold out fairly quickly so there's another slightly yeah. less exciting element of this but it's new which is Nobody actually got a sticker, right? You know something? I don't know. <laughs> oh, I because because I believe we reported this that that the village is actually gonna gonna experiment this year with using license plates. Um, oh, they did that last year. They did that yeah. last year. Yeah, yeah. yeah that this that you don't actually go yeah. buy a beach sticker for your bumper the way you used to. Right. Um. And and this is a step towards kind of automating the process a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um. It's better for car values. What's that? Better, better for your car value. It's not really great to have something, you know, stuck on a on a bumper and whatnot. I don't know. You you don't think an East Hampton Village uh, beach parking sticker raises the value of a car? I feel only if you're only if you're selling the car within that uh, that year. It you know, gives that you it, it gives you a little more cachet. Yes. It gives it yeah. a touch of cachet. Right. So the That's the other really story. Cool, the other story you wrote about this week had to do with oysters, and I wanted to talk about this because we've been talking so much about shellfish and yes. populations of shellfish in local waters, Chrissy. And, uh, you know, the scallops, we just had a report uh, that we talked about a bit last week that doesn't paint a very uh, promising future for scallops in local waters. But oysters are a little bit of a different situation, right? And, and you wrote about um, a, a new program. Well, I think Gianna was the one referencing that, but I, I happen to know that um, there's there are researchers out there developing triploid oyster varieties, which are more resistant. I'm not sure if Gianna was 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 the story referring so to the triploid the, oysters. 
So the this thing I was I was actually interested in is I saw that the Robbins Island Foundation is funding work with Cornell Cooperative to produce hardier bivalves that are you know less that are more resistant to pathogens, but also uh, to spiking water temperatures. And it's fantastic. It's it's the first time I've actually heard about the Robbins Island Foundation. But after seeing uh, Lewis Moore Bacon's investment, like continued investment in preserving parcels of the East End, including like the new Suffolk waterfront, I wasn't really surprised. But, you know, when I think about the bleak story of of, uh, sort of the taking out of the Peconic Bay scallop, this will be the second time over and having a having had a conversation with Kim Tetro, who really uh, is the guy that kind of brought them back after the last time they were decimated, I actually feel really good about it because I know that uh, the people and like Kim Tetro and the SPAT program, there are local people that are really invested in uh, solving the problem and, and doing everything that they can to see that future generations have access to base scallops and sort of work with nature uh, and work with evolution to get past uh, the the cataclysmic um, sort of um, effects of climate change. So, you know, if it weren't for people like Kim Tetro and Spat, uh, people that are are, are, uh, breeding um, bay scallops and oysters to be uh, more resistant and trying to, uh, you know, pick the ones that are more resistant and breed them. Um, we may not be able to enjoy bay scallops in, in the future. Yeah, my apologies, Chrissy. You're right. That was Gianna in my notes. My, <laughs> my apologies, but oh, like you, uh, this is obviously a topic that that we've we've all been talking about. A lot lately, and and there is a need to sort of find, uh, you know, it, it's it's looking more and more challenging for the local shellfish. And one of the things scientists are doing is looking at the the individual shellfish that have survived some of the conditions. And the conditions, by the way, are all climate related. It's about higher water temperatures mostly, but it's also there's some man made uh, pollution that's causing some of the problems too. But it's about finding the strongest, um, the, the, the shellfish that are most able to weather that storm and trying to breed from that stock, right? That's what, that's what they're doing. And, and that's Survival kind of, of the fittest. Yep, yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and identifying that. I mean, if you visit uh, the SPAD headquarters and you see the operation that they have going there, I mean, these are people who are every day uh, watching these bugs, seeing who's who's doing well who can who can hack it in the heat and i am and and people who really love it and that's what we're going to need in order to make sure that we have populations of bay scallops in uh you know the the warmer waters to come and the oysters also play such a yes. significant role in trying to change both of the, them. the, both the of them, quality yes. of the water. But but oysters, I think, in particular, have an amazing ability to filter the water and more. And they do. They'll clean it's it up. It's like a fifty played, gallon a day thing, right? Like I think yeah. that's yeah. exactly what it is. Yes. Yeah, and they've played such a big role. Um, I know in Shinnecock Bay, uh, the use of oysters to to try and help clean up the bay has really started to pay off some dividends, Bill. I think we wrote about that um, a few months ago, uh, that Shinnecock Bay was at some point declared, you know, essentially a dead bay, that that, the, that, that there was, you know, there wasn't much life left, but using more, more of the oysters in the waters, along with some other measures, have really brought it back a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Creating the little the oyster farms, and I think, I think the clams too, and there's the, the Mauritius Bay Project, um, does a really good job with that. They, you know, they they seed the um, they seed the the shellfish and and get it put into the into the waters and um, and 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 there's even some point where um, you know where those shellfish are are seeded and and then they're 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 kept and then they're consumed at, at the end after their work 
um, filtering the water is done. And, and that's really um, a, a great circle there that um, um, you get the most used out of them. I feel like the reinvigoration of the oyster industry, which used to be a big one uh, for us here on the East End, is one of the single most important things that have happened as far as industry, local industry, uh, sort of the rise of the oyster industry again. It's like it's a beautiful way to return to our history. And like you said, Joe, uh, return our waters to what they once were. Oh, yeah, I, I love Denise's AI on genetic modification. What did it say? say? I have to know. It's, a radio, it's know. a radio show, Denise. Let's hear it. Oh, well, I was thinking, you know, if they're breeding, it makes sense to breed things to, you know, resist uh, the impacts of uh, climate change and stuff. So, And then I'm thinking, well, the next step is obviously genetically modified shellfish, which I have not heard anything about. Like, are they doing that? So I asked chat GPT. I know I said I wasn't going to do that on the show, but... <laughs> Are there genetically modified shellfish available? And apparently they are available for certain research and development purposes, but are not yet commercially available for human consumption. They're using mm -hmm. genetic modification in shellfish to improve resistance to diseases, increase their growth rate, and enhancing their environmental tolerance. You, you know, by asking these questions to AI, you're bringing us closer and closer to the singularity where where the AI takes over and decides. Your world, guys. You're contributing. To this Denise. It's it's just so you know, <laughs> the Terminator will actually be a giant oyster, a giant <laughs> And so you know the scallop, modified. the scallop is New York's state shell. There's a fun fact for you. That's oh. interesting. And and I yeah. think the scallops are the canary in the coal mine. I think they are probably they are. the the most uh sensitive to the changing conditions, which the conditions are changing, and I don't think uh, it's going to be it's going to be a real uphill battle to bring the scallops back. With luck, the clams and the the oysters will be a little more resilient under the conditions. But we shall see. That's going to be the whole thing. What a cool conversation this week um, with four panelists, which included chat chat uh, GTP, which uh, I don't think we're going to invite chat GTP back to the conversation. But okay, appreciate you appreciate you bringing it in. Uh, I want to thank our panelists this week, uh, Gianna Volpe from WLIWFM. Thank you. Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local and Christine Sampson from the East Hampton Star. Thank the three of you uh, for being here and taking your time out to talk with us. Thank you and for having us. Thank you, as always, to my co-host, Bill Sutton, for being here. Thanks, Bill. Thank you, Joe. And I'm Joe Shaw. We will be back next week with another edition of Behind the Headlines.